0: From the Credit Union National Association, this is the CUNA News Podcast. Credit union people, credit union ideas. you watch any of the major political shows on network television, chances are you've seen Amy Walter. She's a regular panelist on Meet the Press on NBC, on Special Report with Brett Baer on Fox News, and Face the Nation on CBS. And she provides weekly analysis for PBS NewsHour. In late February, she'll share her insider's perspective of the D.C. political scene in a keynote presentation at CUNA's Governmental Affairs Conference. I'm Ron Jose, Senior Editor for CUNA News and Credit Union Magazine. I recently talked by phone with Walter about the current national political climate and the issues that will affect this year's midterm elections. I began her conversation by asking how she got involved in politics.
1: Yeah, I I didn't grow up in a particularly political family, and it's not as if I have roots in politics or people in my life who were elected officials. I came to Washington as an intern, and I think I just really got bitten by that proverbial bug, mostly because I got to meet actual candidates and was able to watch the political process unfold in real life. Um, it was no longer just sort of this theoretical thing that you read about. And I think what really got me was I came to Washington in 1991. I was working for a group that was trying to get more women elected to all levels of government. And it happened to be about, the you know, a month or so after I came to Washington was when the Anita Hill-Clarence Thomas hearings were in full swing. And it was pretty soon after those hearings that you had what was then the equivalent of the Me Too movement. And you saw all of these women decide that they were going to run for Congress. And I was right in the middle of all of that, watching this movement happen. And on Election Day in 1992, you had more women elected to the House and Senate than any time in history. And I thought, well, that was it. look at this, I'm here for 20 minutes and already we've made major <laughs> political change. It's kind of addictive. And so thus became my interest in doing uh, electoral politics.
0: It's always interesting. Everybody seems to have their own little unique story. And I mean, literally everybody.
1: That is absolutely right. And look, some people have known you know, their whole lives they want to come to Washington, right They're the student body president or they you know have been reading biographies of the President since they were six, whatever it is um, but other times you come here and you think you're here to do one thing and then you find yourself being pulled in a very different direction, and that's also what's what I love about Washington is you are surrounded by some of the most committed people to their Issues that you'll find anywhere, you know, at least in a, in a concentrated place. And even if you don't agree with their position or the issue that they're passionate about, um, I always found uh, it really inspiring to talk to them because they, you know, you're you're around people who really, really, really care about what they do, and really, really, really believe they can make a difference. Yeah. And that's what I I really get juiced by that. And, uh, you know, is it frustrating at times? Of course. Is watching dysfunction in Washington (laughs) frustrating? Absolutely. It's very different today than when I, I'm sure you have these stories too. People telling you, when I started in Washington 30 years ago, it was a lot different. Um, Some things are a lot better. Some things aren't. So I'm not willing to sort of broad brush, paint a story of of a Washington that is all for the worse. I just think it's it's very different.
0: Um, and relative to today, um, how likely is it that we'll see more partis- bipartisanship in Washington this year?
1: <sighs> yeah, I. that's a really good question. And I think even before this government shut down, I, I was very hesitant to believe that we were going to see an actual um, Outgrowth, or whatever we want to call, like a, a sudden love for for bipartisanship. Uh, you know, we had a, a brutal 2016 campaign, unlike anything those of us who are involved in politics had ever seen before. That transitions into a pretty brutal first year, where the two sides, not just in Washington but in America, have dug in pretty hard, and you are either, you know, on. The Trump side or the anti-Trump side, you're either a resistor or you're committed or you are, you know, but there's very little room for anybody in the middle to ha- to have much impact. And I think what's also missing, so you're missing a few things. Number one, there are very few moderates literally left in Congress. And you saw what happened with the shutdown, which is you had some moderates on the Democratic side, moderates on the Republican side trying to come up with an answer on The DACA issue, which clearly is, you know, a middle ground is not something that is going to be celebrated either way to the left or way to the right. And the way to the left and way to the right people make up a bigger portion of Congress than ever. So it gets harder and harder for something where you're going to agree to, you know, compromise uh, and agree to something that's only maybe... 55% 55% of what you want or 40% of what you want. Mm-hmm. Uh that's that's tough. And I I would argue that's been happening over the last 15 years where the 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 middle has literally been hollowed out. The moderates have been uh either by attrition or by losing re-election, they have really been taken out and they've been replaced by ideologues on on either side. But I think the thing that's sort of unique to the president uh is a sense even within his own party, that they don't really know where he stands, right? So there's not a whole lot of trust going on here. And if you can't trust that you're going to go into a negotiation and what you agree to in private is going to be repeated in public, then you're not going to get anything done. And and I had been talking with moderate Democrats really throughout this first year of the of the Trump presidency because I found them – really, I, th- I thought they were going to be sort of that swing vote, right? If the president could get those red state Democrats on his side, that was going to have a huge impact legislatively. But even from very early on, it was clear in talking to a lot of moderate, especially the staffers for the moderate Democrats, that they were really worried that they couldn't really trust this White House, that they couldn't. there was no way to know what the president was going to tweet at any moment or what he was going to tell you in private. And so I think this Debate over the shutdown has only exacerbated that trust gap. So, fundamentally, I believe that we're going to finish out 2018 with kind of a whimper legislatively. Um, You're going to, there are a lot of must pass deals, which obviously funding the government, number one, you have a debt ceiling issue to deal with. That's coming around the corner. This immigration issue is going to take, I think, longer than just a month to, to uh, put together. So I think that's going to really um, grind down Washington. And then once we hit the summer, members start to get nervous. They don't like spending time in Washington. They want to go home. They want to start focusing on their congressional races. And uh, that means, you know, you're the, the fall in Washington is just trying to, you know, deal with whatever crisis there is or tie up loose ends, not to make big sweeping uh legislation
0: are there are there any issues that lend themselves to bipartisanship i mean are there any are there any issues where that middle middle isn't hollowed out
1: yeah i mean i i think that the the reason we keep hearing the term infrastructure is that that has always been and i think continues to be a place where you should be able to find common ground um who doesn't like roads, right. who doesn't like bridges? who doesn't want the you know their water uh pipes replaced but um how you do that is where we end up in the fix right and if the president's saying, well, government will pay for twenty percent of it and and private uh public partnerships are going to pay the rest of it, well, that's just a non starter for not only Democrats but a lot of rural state members who say, look." <laughs> no private company is going to want to invest in rural America. They're not going to get any money out of that. They're all going to want to invest in the cities. um, And then we're left out in the cold. That's not really fair. So how you pay for it, how much you're willing to pay for it. And again, getting to the issue of trust, even if they could technically agree in a room, there is no guarantee that from either side that the president is going to be able to, willing to, stick with something. Now, if he did on a tax bill, but that was a purely partisan exercise, will he do that on something like an infrastructure bill where you're going to have to find a compromise? You know, thus far, there's been no place where he has been able to, to be that compromiser. So, you know, in order for compromise to work, you need leadership, um, and trust. And I think both of those things um, really are missing.
0: What are the issues that will will affect financial services and credit unions?
1: You know, I think we are looking at a debate about, uh, and I think we're going to see this debate in the campaign, about the issue of deregulation and what its impact is Sort of across the board for different industries, certainly the financial uh services industry is one of those, and those are issues, especially when it when it comes to some of the deregulation and I don't know the credit union's you know specific issues that they are the most focused on or concerned about. I know that some some issues can be dealt with at the executive level, can be dealt with the cabinet level, some have to go through the legislative level. And if there are things that can, you know, be done, um, in an executive form, I would argue those are most likely to get done. Um, but things that need to go through the legislative process are going to be, are going to be harder.
0: The reg burden is definitely a big issue for credit unions. Yeah. That's
1: a big issue. It's it is. And, and, you know, what we're seeing, and again, the president talks a lot about this and, um, what you're going to hear from Republicans, their argument is going to be, look, we're taking the burden off business, we're taking burdens off consumers, we're letting, you know, we're, we're taking away these, uh, what they would argue are crushing regulations that really stymie growth, that um, make it harder for business to succeed, and thus make it harder for you to succeed as an individual, either as a consumer or a worker. Um, we're freeing The economy, they're going to point to the fact that, you know, between the gains in the stock market, the low unemployment that we're seeing, the increased confidence, the GDP, the increased confidence of consumers, GDP growth, that it's working. What you're going to hear from Democrats is uh, Republicans have decided to pay off their corporate donor class friends and lobbyists. This isn't about draining the swamp. This is about taking care of the very people inhabit the swamp. They're not looking out for regular people. They're looking out for the big guys. This is going to hurt you. It's going to hurt you in terms of cost. It's going to hurt you in terms of your ability to get recourse when they do bad things. And when we're talking about things like the environment, it's going to make the air less clean, the water dirtier. So, we're going to see, I think, in many uh races come November this battle between whether the regulatory reform that's been happening, whether voters believe that that's a good thing or a bad thing, and the two sides are going to make their case.
0: Speaking of that, what factors do you think are going to have an effect on the outcome of the 2018 midterm elections?
1: Well, I think the number one factor is the President of the United States. and uh, This is not just because it's Donald Trump. This is the reality of every midterm election is that it's a referendum on the president and his his first two years. And of course, you can't vote for a president in a midterm election, but you can vote on his party. And so, what we've seen over the course of pretty much every midterm election since the Civil War, the party in the White House loses seats. It is, in many ways, for the the only chance for voters to sort of get their frustration out, and uh, they do so by voting against his party. Now, how many seats a president's party loses is really been closely correlated to how popular he is. So in years where the president's approval rating has been over 50%, the party in the White House loses a handful of seats. But when the president's under 50%, that's when his party tends to lose a significant number of seats. Sometimes a dramatic number of seats like we saw in 2010. President Obama was somewhere around, I think, 44, 45% approval rating going into the election. His party lost 63 seats that year. George W. Bush in 2006 was somewhere around 39, 40%. His party lost 30 seats that year. So that's kind of the, that's the range that we're looking at for 2018. You have a president who's really in the range of 35 to 40 percent, in uh, in terms of his overall approval rating, hasn't budged much within that range for most of his first year, and uh, so he's clearly a factor and a significant factor. The other issues that are going to be important, obviously, the economy is always important. Um, a growing economy should help the president, should help the president's party. Again, you're going to hear Republicans talk about the fact that it was their trying to take credit for this growing economy with their tax bill. They'll say it's their votes on deregulation and, and uh, taking some of the burden off of business that has helped to unleash this growth. Um, Democrats are going to make the case that it's not helping regular people. It's only helping those at the very top. And the other uh, issue is, that's not actually an issue per se, um, is the, the actual map. And as you know, uh, only a third of the Senate is up every uh, six years. And this year's map is very uh, difficult for Democrats. It is very favorable for Republicans. Only nine Republicans uh, are up this year. 25 Democrats in the Senate, they're up for reelection. And of those 25 states that Democrats represent, 10 of them were carried by President Trump. Five of them Trump carried by 18 points or more. In some cases, these were big, big, big wins, places like West Virginia and Montana, uh, Indiana. So uh, the Democrats' challenge on the Senate side is to hold those red states while trying to make some inroads into some light blue or purple states like Arizona and Nevada. But that is the map on the Senate side, certainly tilted in uh, Republican favor. And the House, uh, the map is also a factor. There are very few easy places for Democrats to win seats. Um, Most of the seats in Congress that Republicans hold were also carried by the president. There are only about two dozen seats that Republicans hold in Congress that Hillary Clinton carried. So I think you know, those are the kinds of things that we're going to be watching. I also think that that finally, that issues like health care and the tax vote are going to be critical, uh, and they will be debated in this 2018 election. Uh, as I said, we, we know where the tax debate is going to go, whether it was good or bad for uh, quote-unquote regular people, average Americans. Uh, on the health care bill, obviously, Republicans were not able to fully repeal Obamacare, that failed in the Senate, but House members did vote. Most Republican members of the House voted for an Obamacare repeal bill. I think you can expect that Democrats are gonna make that an issue and uh for those members and their races.
0: Wow, lots of issues in play.
1: Lots of stuff. This is gonna be a fun I mean, this is a fun year. I mean it is certainly gonna be, as I said, focused just so uh much on uh on the president but there are a lot of issues out there too
0: and finally um our our tunas governmental affairs conference is coming up and is there a message that you're going to have for our attendees something you're focusing on
1: yeah well a lot of a lot of what i'm focused on is really what we talked about earlier so that's going to be a big a big piece of this the other is to just really try to to understand and, uh, and get an appreciation for this moment of time that we are living through. Uh, I don't need to tell you, and I'm sure your members uh, are well aware of this too, just the the kind of divide that we live in now as a country, almost on every single level. It's not just politically, but it's geographically. Um, it's by education level. It's by uh, where we choose to eat and shop. We uh, seem to be a country that is sort of isolating itself more and more into into two very different kinds of countries and uh, with different value sets. And um, at the same time that's happening, we have major disruption going on. Um, that's technological that impacts this divide. That's economic. That is demographic. And, of course, these things are happening across the world as well. This isn't unique to the U.S. So trying to appreciate and understand This moment uh, that we're living through, this tipping point of time, I think it's going to be something that uh, I'd like to have us talk about and uh, and to look at.
0: Thanks for listening to the CUNA News Podcast. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play.